Hey, and welcome to the Scottsdale Podcast. We are currently in a series that is centered upon God's design for the family. Enjoy the message. I'm I'm pleased to introduce to you someone who has been with us this weekend. We had a marriage conference this weekend. It was an incredible time as we were being challenged as married couples, and we had couples from all ages that were there. But Dr. Herschel York and his wife, Tanya, are here, and they've led us in this conference this weekend. But Dr. York is going to be speaking this morning, challenging us again as we're in this series of family. I just want to give you just a couple of pieces of information about Dr. York. Dr. York is pastor of Buck Run Baptist Church in Frankfort, Kentucky. He's been there for 11 years, 17 years, 17 years he's been serving there. And he also serves on the faculty at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, where he serves as a dean of theology. And he's one of the preaching professor there and, and encouraging and teaching all of these young pastors to be how to preach. He and his wife, Tanya, um, have been with us this weekend. They have two grown sons who have... Been, or married and have two wonderful daughter-in-laws and a number of grandchildren. They're here this morning to challenge us and to encourage our hearts. So would you give a Scottsdale welcome to Dr. Herschel York. Thank you, Pastor. Yes. My joy. Thank you. Well, I am so delighted and honored to be with you. I encourage you to turn your Bible to 1 Peter And we're going to be looking at chapter three. Now, the fact that you are here today, (laughs) look at you folks. You're crazy, man. You're crazy. Sitting beside each other this close to a mask. What what is wrong with you? (laughs) Look, the fact that you're here today is a countercultural thing, isn't it? Wouldn't you say that what we're doing today is really unlike what our culture is doing? People are either working or they're at the beach or they're messing around and just, you know, trying to have fun. And here you are sitting together in a, a, a church and you've come to listen to God speak to you through his word, you've come to honor and praise the Lord Jesus Christ, someone who, who lived and died and rose again 2,000 years ago. That's about, as, that's about as different from our culture as it gets, isn't it? And uh, that is exactly what God has called us to be. We're to be salt and light. We're to be different from the culture around us. We're not to be conformed to this world, but to be what? Transformed by the renewing of our minds. That... There's no place I think that Satan is attacking in our culture quite like he is the home. Issues of gender, sexuality, marriage, the very nature of who we are. And we we sang it a minute ago, right? I am who you say I am. That's where our identity is found. And there's no passage probably more countercultural, more passage that runs against what the world believes in is teaching these days in 1 Peter chapter 3. I want you to read it with me, beginning in verse 1. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children, If you do good 
and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. At the beginning of the 20th century, Henry Ford revolutionized society and culture by uh, mass producing cars, his, his Model A, his Model T. And to do that, he built in Detroit the Rouge River uh, automobile plant there, the Ford uh, automobile plant uh, there in Detroit. And he did not want to be dependent on Edison or any of the, the local power companies, so he wanted his own uh, dynamo. He wanted his own uh, powerhouse that would produce enough electricity for the Rouge River plant. And to do this, he contracted with a brilliant uh, engineer, a guy named Charlie Steinmetz. Now, Char Charlie Steinmetz uh, was uh, terribly handicapped. He was a dwarf. He was a, a hunchback. And, and Ford and Steinmetz didn't get along very well, but Ford knew that he needed his expertise, and so he contracted with him to build the power plant that would run the Rouge River factory, and Steinmetz built it, and Ford was making millions and millions of dollars. This went on for several years, and then one day there was a power outage. The, the power plant went down. Ford, Ford's best engineers went in there trying to figure out what the problem was and figure out how to fix it, and they couldn't do it. Ford didn't want to. He didn't want to call Steinmetz, but he realized that if he wanted to know how to fix it, he needed to call the designer. And so reluctantly, he, he contacted Steinmetz and told him what had happened. So we need you to come diagnose the problem and fix it. And Steinmetz came. He made Ford's engineers stay out while he went into the, the uh, dynamo himself and he came out in 10 minutes and he said, you're back online, you can, you can go. And Ford couldn't believe it. You fixed this in 10 minutes. He said, you're ready to go. And they, sure enough, they powered it up and they were able to go back into production. Ford dreaded the bill he was going to get from Steinmetz. You're talking in the 1920s that this occurred. And he waited and waited and Steinmetz didn't even send a bill for a while. Ford had to actually contact him and say, when's your bill going to come? So finally... A bill arrived in the mail at Ford's office, and he opened it up, and he was incensed because it said $10,000. Now, remember, this is the 1920s, and Ford wrote back, and he said, uh, this is ridiculous. This is absurd. I can't believe you would charge such an exorbitant fee. I want an itemized bill. How can you charge me $10,000 for 10 minutes of tinkering? So he waited a while. Finally, the bill came back. He opened it and it said, 10 minutes of tinkering, $10. For knowing where to tinker, $9,990. Now, the point is, God is our designer. He created us. He knows who we are. He knows how he built us, how he designed us. And God, the Holy Spirit, knows where to tinker in your life, where to make changes and adjustments. Nowhere is that more true nor more needed than in your home. Now, when you read a passage like this, it's jarring to a modern audience because this is so contrary to what we are fed 
a steady diet of by the world. But, you know, uh, Eugene Peterson said, the Holy Spirit forms the church to be a colony of heaven in a country of death. Now, that's not just true of the church. That's true of your home. If you are a believer, if you are especially married and a believing couple, God wants to use your marriage to show the world, in a sense, what heaven is like, the relationship between Christ and his church. And, you know, the relationship between Jesus and his church has a, a, a definite vibe. It, it has a, a, a definite, if you will, pecking order. And what Peter is teaching us here is that even in our homes, we're to reflect the love of Christ for his church and even the relationship within the Godhead itself. Submission is not about inferiority or worth or capability. It's about the character and the will of God. This is how the Godhead works. Listen to this from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. Paul writes, I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband. And the head of Christ is God. Now I'll just ask you, would we would we change the first equation there? Would we ever say that, that the man could be the head of Christ sometimes? No. Would we ever say that Christ can be the head, the son can be the head of the father sometimes? We would never say that. Why would we then tinker with the middle one where it says that the head of a wife is her husband? Now, here's what I want to warn you against today. As we look at this passage, I want you to guard against what I call the cringe factor. And the cringe factor is anytime we, we read something, we go, oh, that's, oh, that, you're sort of looking around, how are other people taking this? Well, <laughs> if you read the word of God and you're cringing at God's word, the problem is not with the Bible. It's with you. And it just shows how much we listen to what the world is saying, that we read the Bible and we go, oh, man, that's, that's weird, that's that's cringeworthy. No, no. The, the world is trying to squeeze us into its mold, trying to conform us into its way of thinking when God's word is so very clear. Uh, you know, Galatians chapter 3 verse 28 says, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither bond nor free. There's neither male nor female. You're all in one in, one in Christ Jesus. So the issue here is not about our equality or about our worth. I love that verse. My dear friend, God is no respecter of persons. There's no respect of race. There's no respect of face. It's all grace. We're, we're one in the sight of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the devil wants to take the fact that we are one and equal and therefore try and make us the same. Those, that's, that's not the same thing. We're all equal before the Lord. We're all created in the image of God. Men and women equally bear the image of God. Men and equal are, are uh, we are image bearers of God. We have eternal worth. We have an eternal soul. There is no one human being that is worth more than another that does not depend on, on gender or race or ethnicity or what nationality. We're all equal, but we're not all the same. And now, Satan is wanting to erase differences he, altogether. He's wanting us to follow the social construct instead of 
the sovereign creation. And here's the point I want you to listen carefully to. It's, it's the devil's modern attempt to make men and equal, men and women alike rather, under the guise of making them equal. God made us equal. We're equal. But God did not make us the same. God made us different so that he might make us one. And if it weren't for the difference, we could never be one. Years ago, there was a a town in the Midwest that had a garbage dump, uh, what they call it, you know, a landfill. And all the town's garbage was taken out there and dumped until finally it, it, it held as much garbage as it could hold. And... Uh, a developer thought that he would make some money. He, he literally bought the garbage dump and he brought in loads of dirt and put over it. He brought in crews and built streets and curbs and then uh, developed houses and a neighborhood and sold those houses and people came and they lived in those houses. But after a few years, the landfill began to settle underneath the topsoil that he put on it. It began to sink and foundations began to crack and, and, and streets began to, to break and curbs were, were destroyed. And eventually all the houses in that development had to be abandoned. And it stood as a testimony to this great truth that foundations matter. It's not always the things that are on the surface, the things that you see that are the most significant. It's what is underneath. And here the Apostle Peter is telling us that God designed us and he gave us roles. And that we're not to resent these roles. We're not to try and cast off these roles. And nor are we to switch these roles. That these, this is God's design and plan from creation before sin ever entered the world. And here he he speaks to the wives first. And he says to the wives, you have a a specific calling. And that is, he says, you be subject to your own husbands. Now, let's be clear. He doesn't say women be subject to men. He doesn't say that. What does he say? Wives be subject to your own husbands. The Bible never says that women are to submit to men. It says that a wife is to be submissive to her own husband. One time I was on an airplane and a lady sat down by me and I've, I've learned on when I, if I'm on an airplane, especially if a woman sits by me, that in the first three minutes, I'm going to try and talk about Jesus and my wife, Tanya. I'm going to get both of those things in the conversation. It just makes things go better. And this lady, so she noted both things. She said, uh, you're a Christian and you, you sound happily married. I said, well, both things are true. And she said, well, what kind of Christian are you? I said, well, I'm a Baptist. And she says, well, like, are you one of those Southern Baptists? I said, yeah. (laughs) She said, and she literally said this. She said, one of those who believes that women submit to men? I said, oh, no, I don't believe that at all. Oh, good. She said, no, I believe that a wife submits to a husband. Oh, that's bad, she said. (laughs) I said, well, let me just tell you something. And I I began, I, I, I... talked about our home. I said, I wish you could be a fly on the wall in our home. Because what you would hear is absolute joy and delight in one another. You, would, you wouldn't hear uh, abuse. You, you wouldn't hear a husband who's domineering over his wife, nor would you hear a woman who resents her husband. You'd, you would hear two human beings who just absolutely love one another and delight in each other. And, 
And uh, at that time, our sons were still at home. And I said, and you'd hear two teenage boys who adore their parents and who get along and enjoy one another. You would hear a family that loves each other and loves Jesus. And she said, that just seems so impossible to me. I said, let me ask you a question. I said, if there were a man and he would love you so much that he would gladly give his life for you and he would always put your good first, that he would never make a decision that would harm you, that would be bad for you, that his goal would always be to do the thing that blessed you the most. I said, do you think you could follow a man like that? Tears began to come down her cheeks. She said, I don't think a man like that exists. I said, well, there's one. And his name is Jesus. And I said, he loved you so much that he died so you wouldn't have to. I said, can I ask you something? I said, you've, you've talked to me about my home. Can I ask you about yours? Is what you believe working for you? She began to sob now. She said, I'm divorced and I've been married four times. See, folks, what I'm telling you is that we have so much more at stake than just our happiness. It really is about portraying the nature of God. It's about portraying God's design. And here, God, through the apostle Peter, gives this specific commitment that it's your job to picture the gospel. He even speaks here to wives whose husbands are lost. No doubt in this congregation this morning, there are some women who have husbands that are not here with you. There may be husbands that have never professed faith in Christ. Here is what the Apostle Peter advises, even commands you to do, and that is you picture the gospel so clearly, so carefully in your life that your husband can be one even without you verbally expressing the gospel to him all the time. You can't nag him into the kingdom of God, but you can love him into it. Years ago, Tanya and I were able to lead a, a young woman to Christ. And uh, she lived up the street from us. I met her the day that she and her husband and her family moved into their house. And we built a relationship with her. And one day Tanya and I presented the gospel to her and she put her faith and trust in Christ. And it came to the church I was pastoring there in Lexington, Kentucky at the time and was baptized. But her, her husband, Steve, he wanted nothing to do with church or the gospel. He was not rude. He just let it be clear. That's okay for my wife, Gloria. I just want nothing to do with it. And Gloria would ask Tanya, she said, oh, I, I just, I'm so burdened for Steve. What can I do to get him to trust Christ? And Tanya said, what you do? is you just love him. Now that you're a Christian, you need to be a better wife than you've ever been. You need to fix his favorite meals. You need to keep laughing at his old stale jokes. You, you, you need to be romantic with him. You, you need to love him. You need to uh, praise him, encourage him, thank him 
for all the good things that he does for you. You, you need to make sure that he sees that you as a follower of Christ are so much better as a wife and as a person that he wants the same savior you have. You know, it took five years and Gloria did exactly what Tanya said. She, she laughed at his joke. She fixed his favorite meal. She strived every day to be the best possible wife she could be. And Steve one day said on a Sunday morning, said, Hey, uh, you mind if I go to church with you today? Well, no, I don't mind. This is what she'd been praying for and hoping for. And he began to go to church. And it was only a few months after that, that one day he, he put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. This is precisely what Peter is picturing. That your life, by the way you live, shows that you're following God, not the culture, not the world, not even your own selfish interests. Now, I know when we talk about this, where do our minds go? Our minds go to all the exceptions. Yeah, but what if? What if you're married to a two-legged devil? What if you're married to a bad guy? What, 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 what if you, you've just got a guy that doesn't appreciate you? Let me, let's see the context where Peter says this. Back up in chapter 2. Look at verse 21. He says, to this you've been called because Christ also, look at that word, what's that word? Suffered for you. Leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Likewise, in the same way, wives be subject to your own husbands. Wow. Do you see how Peter connects the way we live in our homes to the gospel itself? If Jesus was willing to suffer humiliation, if he was willing to take the sins of others on himself, this is the attitude that we have in our lives, in our homes, in our marriages. And, and he gives us this beautiful admonition here. He says uh, that when, our, when the, a lost husband sees his wife with respectful and pure conduct... And this has an effect on him. You can be confident that when you are honoring the Lord, it's not wasted. God's using it in ways you don't even know. When others see your pure conduct, your respectful conduct, and he says, don't let your adornment be external. You see that? Now, there are certain Christian sects and denominations that take this passage and say it's oh it's wrong for a woman to wear makeup it says here don't let your adorning be the putting on of you know braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear you wear now i i read a survey by uh on online by a place called skin store of more than three thousand women and they said that the average american woman 
will spend, over the course of her lifetime, she'll spend $300,000 on makeup. And in my opinion, it's not nearly enough. <laughs> I am not against makeup, I'll just tell you that. I, not a thing wrong with it, you'll never hear me preach against it. Uh, I say if a barn needs a coat of paint, you paint it, you know, it's just... <laughs> Not a a thing wrong with that. But I think you would agree with me on this. That painting a barn that's falling down isn't going to keep it standing, right? (laughs) By that, I'm not talking about the external. I'm saying that it's your character that ought to be your beauty. Nothing wrong with fixing your hair and putting on makeup and looking nice. I, 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 I think men ought to make sure that we're not... Slovenly, and we don't just make our wives, subject our wives to just our worst all the time. We need to up our game some too. Nothing wrong with that. What I'm saying though is that character matters most. That the real beauty of a woman or a man is who you are, not what you look like on the outside. I, you know, I will tell you, I'll never forget the first time I saw Tanya. She walked through the door, they were, they were having a little get together. Uh, I was 20 years old, and I was being called to, to serve on the staff at the Ashland Avenue Baptist Church in Lexington, Kentucky. And they had a get-together for me to get to know, especially the young people. And I was 20 years old. Tanya was 19. She walked through the door. I saw her, and I was just blown away. I, I, I said to a cousin of mine who was standing by me, I said, who is that? He said, oh, that's Tanya Sharp. Man, she lives up to her name. She was about as sharp as any woman I'd ever seen. <laughs> Uh, two weeks later, I started there at the church. On my very first day there, we went out that night on a date, and I laid out for her. We talked about marriage on our first date. I laid out for her what God was doing with my life, and I said, are you okay with this? Because if you're not, there won't be a second date. She said, I'm in. Thirteen days later, we bought the rings. <laughs> now, everybody around us was freaking out, saying, oh, this is too fast. So we slowed it down. We waited six months to get married. <laughs> And that was 40 years ago. So it turned out she was beautiful then. She's beautiful now. I'm telling you. But the least beautiful thing about Tanya is her outer beauty. You know, we see today there's this movement. And it's not, I'm not saying that it's wrong. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But you see coffee cups. Fierce woman. Fearless, strong woman. We wear t-shirts, we have it on our coffee mugs. You never see any woman with a mug that says, meek and gentle spirit. Now, understand this. There's no contradiction between being fearless and being meek. Jesus was both, wasn't he? In fact, you see Peter use that very word here. He, he, He says... Uh, you're Sarah's children if you do good and don't fear anything that is frightening. But I will tell you the thing that I think a lot of people fear the most is following God. You fear to follow this passage. You fear. It's not that you, I understand why you would fear to trust your husband. I get that. Your husband's a sinner. But ultimately, it's not about trusting him. It's about trusting God. There's the difference And he here uses Sarah as an example. 
And by the way, what an encouragement. You, you, got, you think your marriage has problems? You think Abraham and Sarah had a great marriage? Man, if ever a couple had an excuse for getting a divorce, it, w- it would have been Sarah and Abraham. They weren't a perfect couple. I mean, there was an affair. Abraham had a child born by somebody that was not his wife. They had problems with their children. They were a transient family, always on the move. Abraham never really did settle down. He, he just lived in a tent. He was careless with the truth and thoughtless of his wife. And then they went through all those stages of life. You know, they, they say that youth looks forward, old age looks backward, and middle age just looks worried. That's, that, was, <laughs> that was Abraham and Sarah for, for many years. I mean, they went through that for many years, but they survived it. They went from romantic ardor to rheumatoid arthritis, and, <laughs> and they survived it all. They had problems, but God was gracious to them. They made it. They learned commitment, and that's what he's saying here. He says that... Sarah had a husband that often failed her, and yet she called him Lord. And then he turns his attention to the husbands. He says, and you husbands? See, this isn't a one-sided deal. He uses that word likewise again. So again, let's look in the context. The end of chapter 2, Jesus suffered. He was selfless. He gave himself for those whom he loved. Likewise, in the same way, you wives do this. Now again, that word, likewise, in the same way, you husbands, you need to be willing to suffer as Christ suffered. You live with your wives in an understanding way. Uh, the King James stuck in my mind. I grew up on the King James and I remember this, this phrase in the King James that, that you dwell with her according to knowledge. My job as a husband and going through life is to study Tanya. And you know what? That's a moving target because she is not today who she was when I married her, right? I married this naive 20-year-old girl and now she's this very sophisticated woman. She's well-traveled and and educated and learned and very astute. And by the way, she's got my number. She knows everything about me. She knows my weaknesses. She knows my failures. She's, She's been witness to most of them. And man, for me to lead her is the greatest challenge of my life. It's easy to be a pastor compared to being a husband. It's easy to be the dean of the school of theology compared to being the husband of, of Tanya York. Not because she's a challenge, it's just the nature of humanity. We're fallen, we're broken, and, and here God puts us two totally depraved human beings together in a home, and he says, now glorify me. Wow, I can't do that on my own. This is why I desperately need the Holy Spirit to tinker. I don't know where to tinker, man. Sometimes our marriage is broken. And I think, well, here's what, here's what we need to do to fix it. Tanya, get right with God. You, you repent. But that's, I, you know, I, can I just make an honest observation after 40 years in gospel ministry? 90 to 95% of the time, there's a problem in the home. I can lay it right at the feet of the man. Uh, that's, that's just true. I think you talked about any pastor in the country, and they will tell you that what a Christian woman wants is a godly man whom she can trust and follow. Problems come when we men 
don't step up and follow the admonition of Scripture to study our wives, to dwell with her according to knowledge, to look, look at this, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Now that weaker is not inferior. Let me, let me explain something. I, I have in my office at Southern Seminary these, uh, I, I know it's weird, I know this is weird, but I am into Greek vases, classical Greek vases. I don't know why, but Tanya and I have made trips to museums to see vases painted by Ophronius and, and the Ophronius School in Athens. I read books about it, I, and I've got these replicas. They're not real, but they were, they're just dead-on replicas of these Greek vases in my office at Southern Seminary. When my grandchildren come to visit me at Southern Seminary, guess what I do with those vases? I put them on a top shelf, right? What am I doing? I'm treating it as a weaker vessel, right? It's, that doesn't mean it's inferior. It means I'm protecting it. I love my Bible. I, I, I don't, I'm not just talking theologically. I love my Bible theologically. I love any Bible theologically. But I love this Bible specifically. This is an ESV heirloom goatskin Bible. I, I like, I love the way it smells, man. <laughs> Gold leaf. I've had this Bible for years. I'm about to wear it out. Pages are coming out in certain places and, are, and tearing when books that I preach through at my church. I preached through Luke for two years and man, Luke's a mess there. But you know what? Ask Tanya if my, my parking place at our church is around back right by the door into my office. If it's raining when we get to church or when we're leaving church, what do you think I do with my Bible? I do not let that Bible get wet. I, I, what am I doing? I'm protecting it. That's the way I want to treat my wife. I want to love her in such a way. You know, silk is weaker than denim, but it's finer. China is weaker than pewter, but it's finer. And I want to treat her, I give her honor as the weaker vessel. That, you know, that doesn't mean she's inferior. It means she's finer. I'm protecting her. I'm caring for her. And look what Peter says. That if you don't do that, God really won't hear your prayers. This is an amazing statement. That God who Jesus died on the cross for all of our sins... He forgave them all, past, present, and future. And yet there's one sin that if a man is guilty of this sin, the God who loves you, who forgave your sin, died on the cross for you, says, mm, I'm really not listening to you right now. And it's if you don't dwell with your wife in this way. Since they're heirs with you of the grace of life. I understand she has the same privilege before the throne of God that I have. She is an heir of eternal life, just like me. And I want to do everything I can to encourage her, to build her up. And I don't go around the house quoting her. The Bible says you're supposed to submit to me. But no, no. First of all, if you're having to do that, you've already blown it. No, what I'm quoting is what the Bible says to me. And I'm letting the Holy Spirit tinker with her and tell her what she needs to do. And when the two of us get on our knees before God together, 
each of us praying, Lord, we're asking the Holy Spirit to come in and tinker, to shape us, to bring honor and glory to you. God does amazing things. Listen, the power God has given you as a married couple to proclaim the gospel. If your spouse is lost, the principle here is that you live in such a way that it points them to Christ. If your neighbors are lost, your marriage should be such a, a way that it points them to Christ, that everything you do not only blesses other, others, but it encourages each other. Years ago, uh, I had, I look back over 40 years of ministry. I, if you ask me what was the worst moment, I can point right to it. And I can tell you the time that there was a problem. I, I had to let Several staff members go simultaneously. It was just, it was awful. That's always a very difficult thing for a pastor to do. And there was just turmoil in our church because things had happened behind the scenes that I was not, I, I, I knew I couldn't just get up and tell everybody. It, there were innocent people involved. There were uh, other lives involved. This thing had a lot of tentacles. And I realized that our personnel team knew, our deacons knew, but I, I just couldn't tell the whole congregation everything, and, which meant I was in a very vulnerable position for people to question my integrity, to question my judgment. And truth is, I, I'd had my judgment questioned a lot, and that was okay, but man, I'd never had my character questioned. Suddenly, when this thing went off years ago, I was getting letters. I was getting letters from little old ladies saying, well, you just fired that guy because he's more popular in the church than you are. First of all, I didn't know that till she told me. So <laughs> it, it, you know, it was just like just getting stabbed repeatedly and it just, it just wouldn't go away. The chairman of deacons called me on a Friday and he said, look, this thing's just getting totally out of hand. He said, Sunday morning, I, I want the deacons to make a, a statement. I want you and Tanya to leave the sanctuary and I'm going to stand with the deacons up front and we're going to address the congregation. I said, I'm just going to trust you to do what you think is best. That Sunday I preached with no reference to anything going on. Just preached the text I was, I was going through that day at the end of the service, Tanya and I excused ourselves and our deacons walked down the center aisle, 30 of them and, and stretched out across the front of the sanctuary. The chairman got up in the pulpit and here's what he said. He said, there are two things in this church that are not in question. One is our pastor's authority to deal with the staff as he sees fit. And two is his character. And if you question his character, then he said this, he said, shame on you. Tanya and I were in my office where there was a speaker and I was hearing everything that was going on. <laughs> And I, I was grateful for deacons who stood with me at that moment. Like that. But I, I'll also tell you this. I was embarrassed that they had to. It still felt awful. That night, I stood around. People pelting me with questions and stuff that I just couldn't answer. I realized that I'm just going to have to take my licks. It would do more harm for me to tell people the reasons behind what I did than for me to just take my licks. And I had to be willing to sacrifice myself for really the good of others and specifically of the church. Tanya took our sons and went on home. I stood around probably an hour, hour and a half 
listen to people, answer when I could. But man, I, I, was, I was done. I was cut to the heart. We lived up the street from the church. I, I walked home that night, went in our back door, and I just collapsed in my lazy boy. And frankly, I was not sure I wanted to go back. I wasn't sure I wanted to keep doing this. This hurt so desperately. It was the first time I felt like I, I even contemplated maybe leaving the ministry in the church. When, as I sat there, I heard a noise and I turned and Tanya was walking through the door of the den. She had a big dishpan full of warm, soapy water and a washcloth. And she knelt at my feet and she began to take off my shoes and my socks. And she said, I want to wash your feet. She said, your character never shines so brightly as when it's under attack and you don't respond. And you are God's man and you are my man. And I know you better than anyone. But I trust you and I love you. And as she washed my feet, she she gave me my ministry back. She gave me my life back. I've never forgotten that moment. And I've never gotten over it. And I tell you, that is the power we have in a marriage to encourage, to build up, to love, to portray the love of Jesus Christ. Would you bow your head with me for just a moment? With your head bowed, your heart open. What does the Holy Spirit want to tinker with in your life? Maybe you're single, you're not even married, and yet the Holy Spirit is showing you here a vision of submission to Christ. What it means to follow Him, to stand against the culture. Or you're married, and your, your spouse is not a believer, or maybe a professing believer, but not faithful. God, the Holy Spirit is wanting to tinker with your life to serve them so well that they want to serve God along with you. Maybe there are lost neighbors and family members that God wants to show the gospel to through your marriage. Just right now, would you say, Lord, I want you to tinker with my life to make me what you would have me be, to honor and glorify Christ, to listen to your word, not to the culture around me. The only thing I want to cringe at is my sin. I want a meek, quiet spirit, a, a humility that is characteristic of Christ. But perhaps this morning you're here and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. And the starting point for you is to repent of your sins. To trust him alone for eternal life. He died on the cross. He was made poor for our sakes that we might have the wealth of salvation. Would you just pray and say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I, I don't deserve salvation. I cannot save myself. But I believe you that Jesus died 
on the cross for me. And today, I'm receiving that gift of eternal life. And I thank you for loving me so much that you would save me. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit might be at work right now in every heart, in every life, in every home represented here, that we might indeed bow before you and say, Lord, we're yours. You are our designer, creator. You have the right and the knowledge to know how to work in our lives. We pray only that you be glorified in us. In Jesus' glorious name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer this morning here to surrender your life to Christ, I'd love for you to speak with one of our pastors and come and say, hey, I prayed that prayer and I meant it. Uh, we want to help you in that and walk with you through that and the, the journey of your life as it begins following Christ today. If you've prayed that prayer and you're online and you're watching, we want you to contact us and let us know that. Or if you're in the Cross Point Center, please speak to one of the pastors there. We're so grateful that all of you are here today. We're going to continue our series next week, and we're going to be speaking specifically about the area of parenting um, and that parenting and how far it goes from infancy all the way into college and even as grandparents, the opportunity to do it again with grandchildren where you can be free to send them back home to where they belong <laughs> afterwards. But we're going to continue to talk through that. Next week's going to be an incredible time as we look at God's design that he has given to parents to shepherd children uh, for his glory and for the advancement of the kingdom. And um, one of the things that I'm constantly reminded of is how Paul says when he in Ephesians chapter 5 speaking about wives and husbands almost the same reflection of what Peter said that he says this is the mystery of marriage that it is a reflection of the gospel and one of the things that we're beginning to see more and more and more all of life for the believer is about the gospel Every single day we go back to the gospel. We preach the gospel to ourselves. We preach the gospel to our spouses. We preach the gospel to the, uh, our children and our families are a reflection of the gospel. So here's my encouragement to you today. Go and live out the gospel in your home and ask the Holy Spirit to tinker those areas of your life that he already knows he has your number, and the junior Holy Spirit in your wife, your wife has that number too. So let's work together in that. God bless you. Have a great day. We will see you back here next week. Looking forward to it. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If this message blessed you and you now have a desire to follow Jesus, I encourage you to go to scottshill.org slash next steps so that we can follow up with you. Also, if you like the message, Feel free to share it on social media with your friends and family. God bless.